Welcome to Blackhawk Church. My name is Chris, one of the pastors on the teaching team. Welcome to all of you who are joining us online, uh, wherever you are. So good that you uh, kind of are joining us in that way. Those of you who are also watching at Blackhawk downtown, uh, those of you who are watching Blackhawk Fitchburg, or maybe you're here at the Brader Way uh, site and you are in Traditions or Gospel Venue, welcome uh, to you. You're seeing me on a screen. And then welcome to all of you wonderful people who are in this room with me uh, right now. So we're going to start out with a survey question uh, for everybody. Those of you online, you can participate uh, too, even though you might be by yourself. might feel silly, but go ahead and do this. How many of you, by show of hands, have ever lived in a rental? You've lived in a rental. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. A lot of people in this room. I would say, let me do that again. You've lived in a rental. Okay, wow. I think it's just about uh, everybody. So you'll all be able to understand uh, this illustration. My wife and I have uh, lived in uh, seven rentals. We've been married over 44 years. We've lived in 10 different places, and seven of those have been rentals. The very best rental property that we ever lived in was about 40 years ago in Dallas, Texas, and here is a picture of that. Uh, yeah, that's aww. Yeah. That's what I looked like uh, about 40 years ago. This was like uh, in 1983, 84, about that. So I was uh, going to school in Dallas, Texas, as a graduate school. I was kind of heading uh, for the ministry, and uh, we got to live in this fantastic property for about uh, one year. Uh, look at that. We still ha have that uh, rocking chair. Look at that kitchen. Isn't that a kitchen? That refrigerator's to die for right there, isn't it? This is classic. So we were so fortunate to live uh, in this place because uh, for the previous like uh, four years, we had lived in downtown Dallas right next to the seminary that we were going. And it's a wonderful school, but it's in a really bad neighborhood. I mean, uh, the, the school is located in one of the highest crime, uh, just, it's a bad neighborhood, downtown Dallas. And we lived there, and, you know, it was tough to have, like, two little kids there in this really bad neighborhood. And at the same time, uh, I was teaching in our local church, little Sunday school class, and uh, two people came up after a class one day and uh, said, hey, uh, Chris... Uh, we know you're uh, going to continue here uh, at the seminary. And we were wondering, you know, we have some rental property and one of the half of the duplex came open. Would you like to live there? Oh my God. I think, what? And I knew uh, where they lived. This is Frank and Julie and I knew where they lived. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. And uh, I was almost ready to say no because I knew where the neighborhood was. And I knew we couldn't afford it. But before I could say no, they said, and it's going to be rent-free. Whoa. I mean, like, you know, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. I mean, like, right there. He said, you know, what we'd like you to do is just, uh, we have a lawnmower and, and a trimmer for the hedges. And if you could, like, just take care of uh, the property, every once in a while, need some paint and stuff like that, pay for utilities, things like that. So, you know, we had to pay for electricity, for water, and gas, and phone. Hey, just stop for a second. So... That's how old we are. So we used to have to pay for phone like that. The phone was actually connected to the wall. You always answered it because you never knew who was calling you. That was a long time ago. So just trying to clear up for everybody. 
So we said, oh my gosh. And so we lived there for about a year. And oh, it was such a nice, nice place. We just, we were there because of the generosity of this couple. And, uh, you know, whenever anything needed to be done on the property, I was so happy to do it, mow the lawn, trim the hedges, whatever, because this couple was just showing us their generosity and their love toward us. They saw it as a ministry. They wanted to help people who were going to go into the ministry like a full-time to be a pastor, a missionary, and it was just out of their gracious, kind heart that they let us stay there. Why did I tell that story? Because all of us, all of us are living on someone else's property right now. We all are living on the Lord's property. He is our land Lord. He owns all of the earth. And he's out of his kindness and generosity. He's given us this gift of this fantastic planet. And he wants us to take care of it, like a, like a renter. Like, can we take care of his property? And we should do that. We should care for his property because just to show him how much we appreciate his generosity and his grace to us. That's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm so excited for this message. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis Chapter one, we're going to begin in the very beginning, so it makes sense. We are going through a series right now called Live This Book. And in the Live This Book series, we are now in the third week of uh, the humans have rebelled. Humans rebelled. I started out the rebellion uh, series a couple weeks ago when I talked about uh, Satan. And then Pastor Charles talked about our rebellion last week and the consequences of that. And now I'm talking about the human rebellion too. Here's where we are in the entire series. We've talked about God's plan for humanity, and we are right here. Next week, Pastor Charles will come and start talking about the fact that God chooses a people. But right now, we're in the human rebellion. And we're going to start to make sense of my talk in the very beginning of the Bible with the very first verse. Here it is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you're going to memorize one verse in the Bible, that's a good one. It's one of the most important verses in the Bible because it shows the uniqueness of our God. There's God and there's everything else. He's completely unique. He's distinct from all other things. He is the creator God and he's created everything, the heavens and the earth. The way the original readers would have understood the heavens and the earth, they would have thought about the sky and the land. They would have thought of something uh, like this. But uh, it's more than that. As we know, it's not just the sky and land. He has created the entire earth. And here is a picture of that. And it looks very cold in Antarctica right now. All of that Belongs to God. Somebody say amen. This is Theology 101. All of that belongs to God. It's his. Lots of verses in the Bible for that. Here's just a few. The whole earth is mine. It's pretty clear there, isn't it? 
The earth is the Lord's, uh, Yahweh's. Whenever you see capital L-O-R-D, that's his personal name, Yahweh. The earth is Yahweh's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine and all that is in it. The whole earth belongs to who? Yahweh, God. You can say Jesus too, that's good too. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. Someone say amen. It all begins right there. And then we learn in chapter one that God created human beings in his image. Pastor Charles had a whole talk on this. Here we go. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So all those creatures that move on the ground, they belong to who? Good. Just thought you might have forgotten that. So he's created us in his image. If you haven't heard Charles' message on that, I recommend you do that. Powerful talk. And this is the first job description. He says, fill the earth and uh, subdue it, rule over all these things that belong to me. So some translations say have dominion over. So that's the idea. So we are to rule over, subdue this earth like God would rule over it and subdue it. Because it doesn't belong to us, it belongs to? Good. So it makes sense that we would rule over it the way God wants us to rule over it. Because we actually came from it, actually. We came from it. Chapter 2, verse 7. Then Yahweh God formed a man... Adam, from the dust of the ground, Adama, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man, Adam, became a living being. Now, do you see these words, how they, they, look, they look alike? Adam is another word for humanity. And Adam, where does that word come from? It comes from Adama. Does that make sense? We don't see it in English, but Hebrew makes it clear. So Adam comes from Adama. And we have this relationship just in the words, but we have in a relationship kind of in the creation story because our job is to take care of Adama, rule over it, take care of it. That becomes clear in chapter 2, verse 15. Yahweh God took the man put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, Avad, and to take care of it, Shamar. Avad is a word that occurs like a whole bunch of times. It's a basic word for work. Work is a good thing. And we are to work it and to shamar it. What does shamar mean? It means to watch, guard, to exercise great care over something. It's the idea of like guarding something, protecting it, 
taking great pains to make sure everything is okay. Nothing gets to it, that kind of a thing. This word occurs 370 times in the Hebrew Bible. This is the first occurrence in the Hebrew Bible. The second occurrence is at the very last verse in chapter 3. Look it up when you go home. And Yahweh has asked the cherubim to shamar the way to the tree of life because the humans have been kicked out of Eden. And now the cherubim is to guard, protect the tree of life, take care of it, shamar. Here's another illustration of shamar. Many of you have been uh, to our house. And in one of the rooms in our house, we have this uh, display. This is a display uh, kind of honoring my mother's brother, Carl Murray, or C.M. Sanders, who uh, died in World War II. In a close-up of what he looked like when he was about 20 uh, years old. Uh, he died and received the Purple Heart, and that Purple Heart was sent to his mother and father, Luther Sanders, in Illinois. Look how clean that Purple Heart looks. Pristine. That's from 1942. The reason that Purple Heart looks like that is that it was shamard. <laughs> that, that Purple Heart was never taken out of that box. It was protected in that box because it was like a sacred thing. Here's uh, the letters. This is not a copy. This is actual Western Union telegram that the government sent to his mother and father, to Luther Sanders, Omaha, Illinois. The Navy Department deeply regrets to inform you that your son, Carl Murray Sanders, radio man, second class, U.S. Navy, is missing following action in the performance, and it goes on. And this, then, was written in April of 1942. He was lost at sea. So for those of you who are familiar with what happens to people that are lost at sea in World War II, they never really knew if they had died until the end of the war because they could have been in a prisoner of war camp. So then all the way in December, 16th of December, 1945, they get then a letter from 1942 to 1945. They never knew for sure. Can you imagine that? This is a letter from the Secretary of Navy. This is not a copy. This is the letter from James Forrestal explaining exactly what happened to C.M. Sanders. His mother and father guarded and protected these things. When they died, they gave it to their oldest son. When he died, he gave it to my mother. When she died, she gave it to me. My job is to shamar this so that I can pass it on to my children and their children. That's Shamar. To treat something as it's precious, to guard and to protect it. That is the image bearer's responsibility to God's creation, to Shamar it. But something goes horribly wrong in the garden. And the humans rebel against Yahweh. And when they rebel against Yahweh, they're inspired by the serpent. I did that talk a couple of weeks ago. And then when they rebel against Yahweh, their relationship with Yahweh is fractured and their relationship with each other is fractured. Pastor Charles did that message uh, last week and he tells all of us why we have clothing on uh, right now. So you might want to go back and listen to why you actually put clothes on uh, today. 
My job is to talk about what happened, the consequences between us, Adam, and where we came from, Adama. Genesis 3. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground, Adama, because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to Adama, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you return. You see the irony of the whole situation. The man and the woman, they rebelled against God. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to ascend and be like him, knowing good and evil. Instead of ascending to be like God, now they descend and Adama will swallow them at the end of their life. They go back to dust. See the irony of the whole situation. Let's go back to 317. Because you listen to the wife, your fruit of the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now, Adama will rebel against you. You rebelled against me. It will rebel against you. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You may work hard for it but it will rebel against you because the relationship between you and Adama is now broken. Because of us. So when we sin, the ground suffers. It suffers as a result of what we do. I think I have a slide that says something like the earth, Adama, is portrayed as suffering as a result of the humans. And you can pull this string all the way through the Bible. So all the way through the Bible, you see verse after verse where it says, oh yeah, the land will suffer now because of Adam, because of humans are going against what God wants them to do over and over and over again. Here are a few verses, Hosea 4. Hear the word of Yahweh, you Israelites, because Yahweh has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There's only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea are swept away. Here's another passage. Jeremiah. Who is wise enough to understand this? Who has been instructed by Yahweh and can explain it? Why has the land been ruined and laid waste like a desert that no one can cross? Yahweh said, it's because they have forsaken my law, which I said before them. They have not obeyed me or followed my law. Why is the land like that? Because of humans. Jeremiah 12. How long will the land lie parched and the grass and every field be withered? Because of those who live in it are wicked 
the animals and the birds have perished. So if you knew Hebrew, you'd know right away that we have a relationship with the land because our name sounds like the land. So Adam, Adama. We have this relationship with the land. We rebel against Yahweh, it rebels uh, against us. Think of the land and the earth like a person, like it's a person, like it's a, I don't know, like a mother, like the you know, mother earth, that kind of idea. And when we, uh, and when we sin, it's, crying, oh, 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 it like cries, like cries out. It's actually uh, portrayed, uh, personified by the Apostle Paul in the letter of the Romans as like a groaning and complaining and longing for a new day. This is Paul writing to the Romans, chapter 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Oh, that's, that's a, some mother metaphor there. Right up to the present time. Let's look at this passage carefully. This is the context for this passage. Paul's writing uh, the letter to the Romans uh, from the Corinth. He's telling them, he's, he's going to come to them, and in the entire letter, he's explaining what the gospel uh, is. He knows that they are suffering. And he's saying, you know, the suffering that you guys are going through there in Rome is, wow, it's difficult, but it's not worth comparing to what's going to happen. I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He's thinking about when the Lord uh, returns, there will be a, we will have a glory because like we will be uh, like him. And he's saying the creation waits. It's, it's longing uh, for that. Next verse. Creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. It longs for this and for the freedom of the glory of the renters of God. Not the renters of God. The children of God. It longs for that. It longs for that. There's like a personal longing. It is like, it is like, the, it is like the creation uh, waits to restore the relationship with the human beings that it's lost. It waits for like a reconciliation to take place between it and the human beings. And it knows that will only happen when the Lord uh, returns because only God can fix this problem. And the core of the fixing of the problem is what Jesus did on the cross. What he did for the, on the cross was to provide a way that all things would be reconciled through him. Colossians 1. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself just humans. No. All things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This means one day there will be no curse. Revelation 22 tells us that. No longer will there be 
any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. All right. This is like Theology 101, but it's like come out of a fire hose. <laughs> so I've just, like, just dumped a bunch of verses on you guys. Let me see if I can put a chart together that will help you understand this. In the beginning, God created human beings in his image. And the very cool thing about that is that he created human beings from the ground, Adama. And we show our appreciation by shamar, to take care of that. When we do that, our relationship with God is perfect. Eden. This is Eden. Perfect. We have a perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with each other, perfect relationship with the ground. But humans rebel against God. We rebel against God. Adama rebels against us. This is a total mess. Who fixes the mess? Only God can fix this. So God becomes human being. God, man. This would be Jesus. He is the second Adam. Jesus dies on a cross to reconcile all things to God. When we place our faith, so when Jesus dies, he's absorbing all of this sin and death. He must be a man in order to die. He must be God because only God can overcome death. He's the God man, Adam too. When we place our faith in Christ and him alone for our salvation, we become like him. We have his spirit in us now. One day when he returns, we will be fully like him. We will have a resurrected body, and Adama can't wait. It looks to hope for that to happen because then there will be a perfect relationship with Adam and Adama once more. This is good news. That's the gospel. And it happens, it's centered because of what Christ does for all things on the cross. That's the center of the good news. How are you guys doing? <laughs> Nobody said anything. <laughs> All God's people said? Amen. Amen. It's the gospel. Another way of saying it. So what? Hey, that's good. Let's go home. What's for dinner? Let's go about our business. So what? No, no, no. So what? We should care for creation. Because it's not ours. It belongs to God. We should show him our appreciation for this wonderful place that he has given us to live. Most Christ followers go, yeah, no problem with that. I agree that we should care for our creation. It's not whether we should care for it, but how should we care for it, Pastor Chris? Because things are such a mess, and this is where you get into all kinds of a turmoil as people talk back and forth about the nature of the problem of what's happening in our world today. So then there's all kinds of disagreement about that. So let's just go right to that. Which one of the uh, kind of environmental issues do I, should I talk about today? I like you just pick, you know. And I know we could talk about the great uh, Pacific garbage patch. You know, that's, that's uh, floating around in the Pacific Ocean. Scientists tell us sometimes three times the size of Texas. 
That's completely man-made. Does anybody not believe that's man-made? <laughs> it's just garbage just floating all around. It's deep and wide. <laughs> oh, we could talk about that. Or we could uh, read the paper today, uh, the first front page, talk about invasive species. Uh, they're happening uh, all around us. That's the front page of today's uh, paper. We could talk about uh, industrial farming, uh, what we do with... Uh, chickens and cows and all kinds of different uh, things. The Bible is very specific about the kind of things, how we should treat uh, animals that, you know, we're kind of related to. But I think it'd be best for us to talk about global warming and climate change because that's the most controversial of the issues. Somebody say amen. <laughs> now, now you're participating. All right. So here's the problem as we talk about climate change is that it, it just it's just strikes uh, at the heart of so many other kind of things that we have going on in our uh, world today that have been politicized and things like that. So um, several years ago, uh, we brought in uh, with the, the upper house a climate scientist named Catherine Hayhoe. Here's a picture of Catherine. And uh, she, is, uh, she teaches at that, uh, you know, in a very progressive liberal part of the country, Lubbock, Texas, you know. <laughs> she teaches at Texas Tech uh, University. And um, she came uh, to the upper house and she did a talk on climate change. She uh, grew up uh, in Columbia because her mom and dad were down in Columbia uh, taking care of churches. She's a committed Christ follower. Her husband's a pastor. So she's evangelical. So she does this talk. And then after the talk, uh, somebody from our church, great friend, great friend of mine, uh, comes up to her, and he just doesn't believe anything she's saying about the si climate science and all that. And so she, he's, he's like confronting her with what she's been saying. It's just classic to watch these two people go at each other. And uh, while he was talking to her, uh, she, she, finally, she stopped him and she said, can I ask you a question? He says, sure. He said, what do you do for a living? He says, I, I'm a farmer. I'm farming property that I actually grew up on. Oh, and uh, you do, do you hunt? <laughs> Does this guy hunt? Yes, I hunt. Do you fish? Yes, you fish. She looks at him and she says, you spend more time outside than I do. You probably love God's creation more than I do. And when she said that, both of them started laughing. And you could see the tension in the room go down just like that. And she said, you know what? I can tell that you love God's creation and you care for it. He said, absolutely. I love it. The problem that I have is the government's putting all these rules on us and laws, and it's like killing the farmers. And she goes, great. What we need to do is work together to do things and pass legislation that both cares for creation and doesn't devastate farmers. Do you agree with that? Yes, I do agree with that. That's the way this kind of thing should take place, where we can seek common ground. Let me do a commercial uh, for the Upper House uh, right now. On November uh, the 17th uh, at Upper House, there's going to be a kind of a, a program about how to have a decent conversation without getting in a fight with someone over a subject that's very difficult for us to talk about uh, today. Climate change, healthy discourse in Christian communities. Another resource is uh, I'm teaching a class on science and faith uh, every uh, Tuesday night. I'm, I'm halfway through it, and this Tuesday, I'm doing a talk on uh, all this, on creation care. A lot of the verses I 
show today, I'll talk about on Tuesday, here at Brader Way. I'll be interviewing uh, a, a professor in ecology. And so if you want to talk to somebody who knows a lot about climate change, that would be a good person uh, to talk to. That's this Tuesday at 7 o'clock here at Brader Way. Here's another resource. It's written by a good friend of mine, uh, Ed Brown, and it's called Our Father's World, Mobilizing the Church to Care for Creation. If you uh, take Christianity Today, you notice that Ed was just featured in Christianity Today, just in the last uh, issue, Evangelical Creation Care Expert Lessons Learned from a Global Tour. Ed Brown knows way more about caring for creation uh, than I do. He's a great, excellent resource. Here's a couple more resources. There are books, one by Sandra Richter, an Old Testament scholar, and one by Doug Moo, a New Testament scholar, and his son Jonathan Moo. This would be more of the Bible side of everything. If you're interested in these things, they'll be on our resource page online. You can go and find out more about that. Probably the best thing to do is not read any of those books. <laughs> Just go outside. <laughs> Just go outside. Just go for a walk. If you've been in a walk at the Arboretum uh, recently, just stop and look, read signs. Just read signs. You learn about blue stem prairie, things like that. Just read. Or go to the Ice Age Trail. If you have, it's just like a mile from here you can get on one of the Ice Age Trails. Just get outside. Go for a walk. And reconnect to Adama. Just get outside. When I uh, started uh, today's talk, I did that illustration uh, that you know about renting property. It's a bad illustration. <laughs> it's not a biblical illustration. We are never, ever called renters in the Bible. God owns it, but he never refers to us as renters. And you think about that, that makes a lot of sense because, I mean, we rented seven properties. We really loved one of them we lived in. <laughs> Some of the others, we were just happy to get the deposit back, actually. We maybe didn't take care of it as much as... How many of you rent a car and then wash it before you turn it back in? See? Renters don't do that. The biblical illustration were children. We're children of God. It's our Father's house. And we should take care of it. Some of you are saying, you know, young parents are going, you know, Pastor Chris, maybe that's not a good illustration either because my children kind of trash my house all the time. I got it. Work with me here, folks. We're adult children. We should know better. We should know better. Because we all agree. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. And we should care for it because it belongs to him. It's his property. And he's been gracious and kind enough to allow us to live on this amazing planet. A good God. A good landlord. Do we care? Let's pray.
Father, I, I just ask you to forgive us for many sins of not caring enough about this planet like we should. Forgive us for thinking that it was our planet and we could do whatever we want to it. We pray, Father, that you would help us to connect again to Adama. We long for the day when Jesus returns and we will uh, be renewed completely and we'll be faultless and stand before your throne with great joy. And we know, Father, that the creation, it longs and it hopes for that also. Until then, Father, give us a love for you that is reflected in the love for this incredible planet that you've allowed us to live on. We pray this in Christ's name for the sake of his reputation and for the sake of the earth. All God's people said,